This is Glass Half Full with me, Steve Twine, and where I'm joined by inspirational guests from around the world, sharing their stories, stories that may well resonate with you. Sit back and enjoy this week's Glass Half Full. Well, a warm welcome to this week's Glass Half Full with me, Steve Twine, and where I'm joined by inspirational guests from around the world. Uh, this stream is is unscripted. We just go with the flow when I'm joined by some great guests. And, and today, well, by the power of technology, I'm actually off to uh, to India. And um, I'm really looking forward to this. We're going to be talking about... The power of mindsets. There's a great saying that says 80% of success is mindset, 20% is mechanic. In about 30 seconds time, I'll be joined on the line by Talika Rani. Now, Talika is a former Indian air officer. She served 10 years as an air traffic controller and a military outdoor trainer, training uh, the first uh, India's first, first three female pilots. Not only has she done that, she has climbed mountains more than one, would you believe? Wow, I'm really looking forward to this. I'll be talking to Talika in around 30 seconds from now. Talika, welcome to Glass Half Full. Hello, thank you so much, Steve. It's my pleasure. Uh, Namaste. Yeah, how are you? All right. Are you uh, had a wonderful day? Yes, yes, it was. It was really wonderful. I could complete one task which I had assigned myself since morning. So I suppose really contentful. Great stuff. Well, look, I'm really looking forward to finding out more about your life as we're going to explore the power of mindsets and uh, how important that is. Um, and I mean, some of your achievements there, you know, I could I could take half an hour to list them. There are that many, you know. So so where do we start? Let's let's start. Well, how, how first of all, how did you become involved with the uh, Indian Air Force? How did that come come about? That happened when I was a teenager. I joined Indian Air Force at the age of 21, and at 22, I was already commissioned as a uh, flying officer. But uh, why I chose Indian Air Force, the seeds of it were in my childhood, because I was always a person who looked up at the sky and symbolized a human being's life with the sky. Because sky is so vastness, it has no limits, it is endless. And I would always look up to it and think that a human being's life should be like this. It shall wow. have no limits. And physical limits might be there, but physical limits are stretchable. While there is one entity which we have within us, this is mind. And mind exactly resembles the limitlessness of the sky. And that is why I was so drawn towards Indian Air Force right wow. from my childhood. Wow. So how long did you serve for then? I was there for 10 years from 2005 to 2015. And it's at that point as well, because um, 
you know, you did many things there as well. But uh, I think I'm right in saying a, a team, a team of you um, in one of the sort of I'll, I'll call it one of these um, rash moments of life. Should I call it that? You decided you'd <laughs> you decided you'd climb Everest, you know, as you do. <laughs> Basically, what uh, how it went was my branch was administration and my sub branch was air traffic controlling. So for two years of my service, I was doing this work. I continued doing it later also, but just two years into the service, something happened in my life, which changed the direction of my career as well as my life till now. And that was that one signal came in our unit about river rafting and mountaineering expedition. And okay. by chance, one of my course mates who was a sports officer also, he he sent my name without my consent, <laughs> without informing me as a volunteer for it. While I was, I was just too happy with that. <laughs> I had nothing to complain because I used to work out a lot. Even after my shifts were over uh, from the ATC, in night also, I would go for a run or to the gym. So I was heavily into physical fitness. And since people observed me doing these outdoor activities crazily, my course mate thought that I was the perfect person to be sent for mountaineering or river rafting. That's why he forwarded my name. So uh, from there, my adventure career started. Cool. But as Everest, Everest was not my idea. I would admit that. This opportunity <laughs> came in my life out of the blue because I do believe that there is something called destiny. Mm-hmm. Destiny, God, providence, these things would put certain opportunities in our path. Then it is up to us to react to them. So on my path, I only did that. I jumped onto that opportunity because I always feel there is no point regretting later. When an opportunity is there in front of us, we have to take that plunge. We have to take that step forward. Living in resentment, regret, and speculation is worse than taking that step and failing, perhaps. You will at least have that experience with you in your life. You know, but Talika, you know, many people, though, wouldn't they, when if somebody had put them forward without knowing it, some people would have gone, whoa, wait a minute, I'm not having any of this, right? But you didn't, you, you know, you, you took, you know, you took on the challenge with 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 zest and things like that. But, you know, in terms of climbing something like Everest, you know, um, I mean, I've read a few books about this. I've never done it, but I've read a few books about it. There's a lot of preparation that goes into this, even before you know, climbing other mountains as, you know, as you get higher and higher and higher. So how, how many mountains have you climbed or, you know, before Everest and, and after? Let's talk about before first. How did that training happen? Yes, I think I have been a blessed child of God always, right from my childhood. And here too, uh, it was an opportunity given to me by Indian Air Force itself, because the year 2009, when I did my basic mountaineering course, the same year, Air Force Directorate of Adventure conceived this plan to send its women officers to Mount Everest expedition. So they conceived this plan. They had uh, formed the training schedule also. They called for volunteers and I volunteered for it. So when I jumped onto this bandwagon and took this opportunity, I was selected for my first expedition to Leh Ladakh in um, 
that was Mount Stoke Kangri, 20,000 feet high. And our team was selected. I was also one of them. When I climbed that mountain, I would admit that I was not really very much into mountaineering because it was my first expedition. And it was really challenging for me physically as well as mentally. But I could make it to the top of that first mountain, Mount Stoke Kangri in Leh. It is a very famous trekking peak in India. Once I stood on the top of that mountain, I realized that this journey coming towards this top had transformed me somewhere because I realized that this much power was latent within me. And mm -hmm. then it became a means of self-discovery. Thereafter, it was uh, meant to be a two year training schedule devised by the Directorate of Adventure Sports in India, uh, Indian Air Force. <laughs> and, and on my part, you know, I would say that on my part, what I did was I always took that step forward. I never hesitated. Even mm -hmm. if I, I thought that I'm not performing very well in the beginning, I realized that I have to continue doing it. This is where most of us fail, I suppose. If we do not perform very well in the beginning, we lose heart, we lose hope, mm -hmm. and then we hesitate. But I continued going on all these four expeditions prior to Everest. The second one was Mount Bhagirathi too. The third one was Mount Kamet in Garhwal Himalaya. The mm -hmm. fourth was Mount Sasir Kangri in Leh again. The peaks were rising in altitude and technical challenge. And on the third expedition, which was Mount Kamet in Garhwal in 2010, something happened which again changed my perspective very deeply. Because till then, I had been pushing my physical boundaries. Mm -hmm. On third mountain, I had prepared really well physically. But when we were just one, uh, two camps below the summit, and it was just one day and one night between us and the summit, we were really excited to go to the top. And at that time, because I was just in my 20s and a really young, uh, bubbly girl, very excited about opportunities. <laughs> and I used to think that, OK, if I do a lot of hard work and I have this determination and zeal to go for it, this will certainly be done. Till then, I had not tasted defeats many a times. So I had that kind of a mindset with me. But next day, we were supposed to go up, and it did not happen. Because oh. weather turned bad. Weather turned bad, and our leader advised us to go down, rather. Leave the camp, vacate it, wind up everything, go back down. And the expedition for us was over. Because the weather was going to be really bad. There was no point moving up the mountain. That would have been very foolish. Mm -hmm. So then we decided to move down, and thereafter we got stuck for six hours in a snow blizzard. So wow. snow started whirling from all the directions on us, and we were traversing on a mountain. We were literally fighting for our lives because temperature really plunged down. It was heavy winds. It was heavy snow whirling from all around up to us from all directions. My fingers were freezing. Everybody in my team was struggling for their lives. It was a scene straight from a movie, I would say. Sounds like and, a horror movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And that part of time, it became a struggle between the mind and the body. Because it was so horrible. It was so torturous to take 
each and every step in those inhospitable conditions that my mind somewhere told me it would be better if I unattach myself from the rope and fall down into the valley. So wow. perhaps there was this thought for one time in my mind that dying would be easier than this miserable living, this torture which I'm facing each moment just to survive. Perhaps death would be easier than this. And I would say that these kind of moments come in all of our lives sometimes, whether we are climbing a mountain or not, even in so, plains, in, so how, in all kinds of conditions. So, so Tlika, how, how, long, how long did this blizzard last on the mountain then? And, you know, did it seem like an eternity? Well, yes. At that time, I didn't know how long it was going to last. At that time, I did not know whether this is going to be over ever or not, because each step was a misery. Each step was taking me perhaps closer to death. It felt like that at that moment. It is the same in life also, because when mm. we are in dark moments, those dark moments seem like an eternity. We never know where is the end. And that is where we, we tend to give up. But it, it always ends somewhere. It has to end. Something that has begun has to end, even the dark times, even the tough times. So I just continued because I heard this voice again in my mind, which told me, hold on. Because I believe in reading good things, the power of mind we are talking about. And I believe that we must feed our minds and soul and heart with positive energy. Mm -hmm. Even when we are fine, even when we are in good times. Because yes. these positive things spring up when we are struggling. They are stored within us. They give us strength and hope when we are in tough times. So this uh, line from the poem, If, by Rudyard Kipling, sprang up in my mind, this word, hold on. Okay. And I just held on to it, continued taking each step forward. And those six hours passed by, we came back down, we survived. And then I felt one thing, that life and death are destined. So I was not destined to die at that particular moment on the mountain. And I survived, even though it felt that I'm not going to survive. So that wow. means there is no point fearing death. Death will come when it has to come. And if it is not destined, it will not come. It will not so come. So, yeah. Wow, what, what, a, what, a, what a lovely way to think. So, so, so after that, then, at what point, um, I'm just thinking in my head now, you know, there you are in this snow blizzard and all this going on. And, and then you've still, you still got to go and climb Everest. <laughs> Yes. 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 <laughs> well, that's the, was that the next one then? After that, did you did? Is that when you finally got to to Everest and and, and away you went? After this expedition to Mount Kamet, I started enjoying these challenges. I started enjoying these brushes with death, because I thought that let's see, when is my death destined? So right now I have this kind of a mindset with me and that came only on that mountain when I was really in a close brush with death. Mm. So now, now onwards, I started taking these challenges as something uh, coming on my way, which I have to face and I have to fight with them. And let's see who wins. So that kind of a combative mindset, I suppose, that sportive mindset, I would say. I was already into forces and I have this mindset of a soldier of never giving up and giving a really good fight, however tough your adversary might be. Mm -hmm. So this also was now applicable on my mountaineering expeditions. 
and you know uh, after this we went on to climb mount uh, saser kangri that is a peak uh, highly technical and 25000 feet high in leladak so on that expedition also we were bombarded by very high winds it tore the outer of our tent and we wow. actually had to sit inside our tent holding the poles from inside <laughs> to to prevent the winds from blowing us off the cliff and that peak also could not be summited by our team because we had to return from this summit camp so mm-hmm. i realized one more thing here that in life it is not always important to reach the top the final destination it does not happen always sometimes thing things happen to us to give us experiences and learning value which would be helpful later on so all these four pre everest expeditions did give us a lot of learning experiences which were valuable when we actually went on to climb mount everest in 2011 oh, so- So so tell me about that then tell me about that because you know from from the things I've from I've read you know it's a it's a fair trek to base camp and then you, then you have to go up and you come down and you up and come down to acclimatize and all that kind of thing I think I'm right yeah? yes yes so yes, yeah it's not yes. it's not just a question of putting the rucksack on and off you go you know it's <laughs> so how did <laughs> yes. how did how did it go Well uh, in 2011 we were a team of 20 lady officers plus uh, our support team so we were really prepared because we had prepared for these two years and on four successive peaks we had also been to Siachen glacier twice and Siachen glacier is the coldest place in south asia and unfortunately the highest battlefield on the world because <laughs> our, our armies are stationed there so we were taken to army mountaineering uh, institute there and we trained in ice craft so to expose ourselves to extreme cold conditions the team was taken there in the month of january twice so we were really well prepared as a team when we went on to mount everest in 2011 because everest is everest it is not going to let you climb so easily it will take <laughs> some part of you in in whatever manner and my team could climb it successfully seven of the 20 team members could climb it successfully if i talk about myself i was really physically fit mentally also as i would perceive and my teammates also thought that i would be one of those people who would be able to stand atop this mountain but again i think i have been fortunate to have these life lessons through failures through falling repeatedly and through these insights into life because it it happens to all of us it happened to me also that life did not go as planned always mm-hmm. but from from all those surprising events i have had great insights into how life actually works and what god and life tries to teach us through these difficult and different experiences so in my first attempt on mount everest in 2012 I had to return from midway up from 22000 feet because I I was feeling cold in my fingers and nothing worked if I tried to warm them up so I had to actually literally trace my steps back I still remember when I was walking down it felt really heavy because a dream which we had been dreaming for last two years and really working for towards that 
had been shattered. So I'm not a person who usually cries in the public, but mm-hmm. of course there was no public to see me. I was just coming back alone and a tear rolled down my eyes and it got frozen on my cheek because it was cold. (laughs) (laughs) That is how my first expedition on Mount Everest ended, as a failure. I believe that failures are not final Mm -hmm. until we make them so. So that's why I have been failing repeatedly in my attempts and I have been continuing and then somewhere some amount of success comes. So I decided to undertake another expedition to Mount Everest. And that was not for the purpose of gaining any fame or publicity or to proving it to the world. Rather, whatever we do in our lives, it is to prove our own worth to ourselves first. Because Mm -hmm. if we are content with ourselves, I suppose rest everything does not matter much. So when I came back down, I was not feeling comfortable with myself because I thought that I could have done better. And whenever we have this kind of a feeling that we could have done better, there is always this persisting, nagging voice within which does not let us live in peace. There's that little uh, chattering on your shoulder all the time, Talika, going, yes, 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 what are you doing? <laughs> so so when, when you climbed again, Talika, did you climb with another team? No. no. This time, oh. because, uh, because the Air Force expedition was already successful, mm-hmm. and there was not very high possibility that the Indian Air Force was going to undertake another expedition to Mount Everest very soon in future, So I decided that I would make my individual attempt on Everest. And it was not easy again because I had to raise finances. And Everest is an expensive affair, I would say. (laughs) You need to spend a lot on the permit, on the Russian, on logistics and everything. So uh, there is a saying that where there is a will, there is a way. But it comes after a lot of exploration. So <laughs> I also tried to I also tried to seek sponsorships from the private uh, foundations, but since mine was a very peculiar case, I was a serving officer, and mm-hmm. as a military officer, I had a restriction on talking to press. Okay. And since I could not talk to press, why would somebody, especially the private companies, invest their money on me? They will not be gaining anything, any publicity in return. So that is why I could not gain any finances from them. The Indian Air Force, on the other hand, had no precedence of financing an individual officer's expedition. So all the doors on the financial fronts seemed close to me. And I can still remember I was standing outside a huge building of an adventure foundation. And it was blizzarding. It was it was really hot the sun scorching over my head, and I felt dizzy with desperation because I realized that there is no way out. But as we see, in life there is always some way. Whenever all the doors seem closed, there would be at least a little window somewhere. We just need to explore it. So my family came to my rescue, and my mother told me one thing, which I really keep it close to my heart, Money, if you have it, 
there is no point storing it if you're not living in peace. So wow. we shall spend it on something that gives us peace and contentment. Our confidence, our self-esteem is much bigger than money. Money can be generated again. So we shelled out our own savings, me and my family. Wow. I took out all my savings that I could have done. And then people uh, started calling me a crazy woman. Because <laughs> <laughs> then I had to manage my responsibility of discharging my duty as a military officer, as well as maintaining my fitness to extreme levels because I was preparing for Mount Everest. And this time there was no coach with me as there was earlier with our team. There was no special time for workouts. So I would wake up in the morning or I would do my workout in the night. So that is how I prepared for it. But this made me stronger because this time I was preparing my mind along with my body. I had realized that it was my mind which had stopped me from going forward on my first attempt. Because even if we do not realize, we have certain hidden blocks within our personality, mm -hmm. which obstruct our ways in certain ways. And we have to pinpoint it. When we fail, the first thing shall be to sit down and look within. Because the seeds of our failures are always within us, always within our personality. Oh. Mm. So that is what I did. My mother really helped me in pinpointing that one particular block which had held me back. And she said that it was fear. I realized it was right. It was your a mom, fear. Your, your mum is so inspiring, isn't she? Hey, what a wonderful <laughs> yes. woman. So, so Lee, when, when you got when you got to that point on the mountain where on the first trip you turned back, yeah? Yes. When you got to that point on the second trip then, yes. how was your mindset? What, what was going through your head at that point? You know, incidentally, it was that on that exact point from where I had returned in my first attempt, I fell sick on the second attempt also. Okay. And I experienced mountain sickness at that particular time. It was on the Lhotse wall. So it's a very steep gradient wall at 22,000 feet or so. And I started feeling mountain sickness at that point in my second attempt also. And I had to come back down, went below the base camp also to recuperate. And there was a very hard night when I sat clutching my chest because it was severely aching. And then I came into this combative mindset with the mountain and with my body. Now, the mountain had given me the sickness, but I was not going to let it go so easily. I had prepared my mind exactly for this moment that I will not give up whatever happens. And that's when I, re I realized that when our mind tells our body to do something, our body does it. It is same with the ailments. It is same with recouping from an illness or stretching our physical limits. That is why an athlete can run so fast while the normal people cannot because the athlete has trained his or her mind to push their bodies. That is why people, scientists, 
why and how they can work so long in these kind of conditions also just in one laboratory for hours and hours and hours while an ordinary person perhaps would feel uh, choked over there suffocated and would like to go out because it is just the power of mind when we concentrate on something we can do wonders cool and this is what i realized so Tanika, you, you came back down to base camp and then you were up again yes Yes. I recovered. I recovered yes. from that chest pain also. And then I was really full of a lot of energy because I knew that I had to go up and I had to prepare my body. So I started eating heartily and I prepared for that one moment when I'm going to do my summit push. And I climbed back up again, went on to camp three, that is at 23,000 feet. But the winds were again very high and I had to come back <laughs> from again. there. Oh. Yes. <laughs> so just after one day, I decided to go up again. My body was dehydrated, but I drank a lot of water. And I was really in this mode of fighting now that I have to do it. So after one day's rest, we went up again, me and my Sherpa and the other members who were there on the mountain, because there are a lot of teams on mm -hmm. those two months when the Everest is climbed. So we went up again reached the summit camp that is at 26,000 feet, which is the last camp now. And it is officially the death zone. Because after a lot of scientific experiments, people have termed it death zone. Mm -hmm. What happens is due to the altitude, a lot of physiological changes happen. And the body fluids that we have within us, they either get into our lungs or they get into our head. So a lot of things can go wrong, even with supplementary oxygen. Right. So when we started climbing for the last climb, the last leg, only the 3,000 feet were left. Only one, one night's climb was left between us and the summit. So we started climbing at around 8 p.m. And just one hour into our climb, I started feeling cold in my foot. Oh. Thereafter, <laughs> it was it was the same situation which had happened to me on my last attempt. So last year I was feeling cold in my fingers and I had returned from there thinking that if I go up, perhaps my fingers would be amputated. This time, now everything is at stake. I have put on stake all my money, my parents' savings, my entire one year's leave. My reputation, of course, because people have already started calling me a crazy woman uh, <laughs> for trying to climb this mountain, which had already defeated me once. And it is not going to give me any monetary benefit also, uh, putting my life at risk, of course. So here I am again in this situation where I have to take a decision whether to continue climbing and risk my life as well as my limb or come back down, live safely but live with regret. The regret which had not let me live peacefully for one last year. So I decided I would continue. Because wow. at some point of time, if we want to live with dignity in our own lives, we must surpass our physical limits. And limits are only in our mind again. So if our mind is ready to stretch those limits, I have realized that we can push those physical boundaries much, much far ahead. 
and when wow. I continued climbing throughout the night, it did pain because I knew that my toes, the cells within my body were dying and death is never easy. Death is always painful. Mm. So since my cells were dying, it was paining severely. But we human beings have a lot of capacity to endure pain. We do not realize it until it comes upon us or we decide to endure it. So the entire night passed. Since all nights pass, this is a reality of life that every night, however long, however dark, is certain to pass. And there would be a dawn. So when the dawn came, with that sunrise on 26th May 2012, I could stand on top of Mount Everest with my national flag in my hand. Wow, I'm feeling, I'm feeling so emotional, you just telling me this. <laughs> I'm just picturing me on the top of the mountain there. I'm, 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 nearly in, I'm nearly in tears with emotion and happiness here, genuinely, honestly. What, what amazing, amazing. What, how You know, you must have felt ecstatic at that moment in time. It was not ecstasy, I would say, because when we have really pushed our limits, it is more a kind of relief. Okay, yeah. Because I was climbing for the entire night. It had been 11.30 hours. So, and this kind of a strenuous physical activity, when your body has actually surpassed, you have kind of left your body and you have become surreal. So it was that kind of a feeling. It okay. was all of my mind pushing me and the body was just an instrument of doing it. So at that moment when I actually thought that perhaps now I do not have to move my step ahead. It was a relief. <laughs> it was a huge relief. <laughs> Tilika, how, how long did you stay at the summit for? It was for half an hour because yeah. uh, uh, the oxygen cylinder is always running, even if you are standing, <laughs> and you have to come back down safely. So, yes. And it is very cold also up there. Mm. So uh, it is not advisable to stand still for a very long time. Otherwise, the cells in the body will again be frozen. <laughs> so movement is much better there. And that's why we stood uh, there on the top for half an hour, clicked our pictures and videos, and then started returning. So the, the coming down is, again, very, very dangerous because the, um, the balance is now more precarious. Mm -hmm. you're, you're facing downwards. You're already tired. You have climbed the entire night. And then you are a little complacent now that you have climbed. So a heavy burden has been lifted off your heart. In that condition, there is a risk of uh, accidents happening more. But I could come down safely to the summit camp. When I came back and opened my shoes, I found my toes already frostbitten. I further came back down to the base camp the next day. And of course, uh, to the plains. In the plains, I had to be admitted for three months in a military hospital for frostbite on my toes. Wow. And it was uh, really bad because the toes had left their shape. They were raw, blood and pus oozing out of them and rotten. So at that point of time, doctors advised that um, they have to be amputated and perhaps the climbing shall be stopped for a while. So. 
<laughs> well, uh, I thought that no. It is again me who is going to decide. No doctors. Mm-hmm. And nothing, nobody else. And I have realized again and again in my life that whenever I have told my body to do something, it has done it. So just one month after coming out of the hospital, I went back to the mountains. Of course, I could not wear shoes. So I went in the slippers with my toes bandaged. <laughs> <laughs> right. Wow. <laughs> and I started climbing again. I started running, doing all my exercises. And thereafter, I did um, a lot of expeditions in various countries. One of them was uh, Mount Damawand, which is in Iran and the highest volcano of uh, Asia. Mm-hmm. I could climb it successfully. I also climbed a virgin peak with my team in Himachal Pradesh. So our team became the first uh, team in the world to successfully climb it. And I was one of them. To stand on top. So I can, kept on bandaging my toes continuously for two years and I kept on doing all my physical activities. This was also the time when I was posted in Air Force Academy as a military training instructor and I really loved working out with my cadets. So- wow. <laughs> God, what a what a lovely, lovely, lovely story. We've 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 got about five minutes left because this we could talk for hours, but we've yeah we'll have to talk again at some point. But where is life? Where are you now with your life? Because I know you you're doing inspirational talks around the world. You're doing all kinds of things. So you know what are you up to now, and then the, the final bit. What kind of? I mean, you've touched on so many things in this forty minutes or so. What lovely message would you like to leave with the listeners? I would say that, first of all, we have to explore the world within ourselves. There is one saying in the Indian philosophy, Aham Brahmasmi. Now, this one sentence forms the focus of all my motivational talks. In English, it means, I am the universe. I am the universe. So this one sentence, I tell myself every day in the morning because that tells me that I have enough capabilities to achieve anything in this world. And that is there, the point with each one of us. So I would say that first of all, in the morning, do yourself a favor, sit for five minutes, connect with yourself, because within us is stored a huge powerhouse. When we tap into this positive energy, first of all, we take care of ourselves. We are radiant, we are confident, We are energetic. Second, we are ready to radiate this energy further into this world. So we become the conduits of transformation, the transitioning of this energy into other people also. So my message would be start from yourself and become a means for the betterment of this world, because this is the real purpose of human life. Absolutely wonderful! What what a what a great way to end! And if and if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that, Tulika? I'm on Instagram, so my handle is Tulika T O L I K A underscore fourteen one four. I'm also on LinkedIn. You can find me as Squadron Leader Tulika Rani. Plus on uh, Facebook, I'm available as Tulika Rani T O L I K A R A N I Tulika Rani. So I'm there on all these social media platforms. They can reach me there. 
on my email id also t u l i c h tulich 83 at the rate gmail.com so i would be happy to get in touch with my fellow inhabitants of this earth because at the end of everything we are all one human family i love connecting with people from different backgrounds and finding similarities amongst all of us because we have same hopes same aspirations same pains and same desires of love happiness and connectedness absolutely wonderful what a wonderful way to end um really been a pleasure talking to you and love i know we're going to talk again in the future because i know we're going to do that we've got little thumbs up we've got love arts flying about on the screen i can see here as well it's been it's been a pleasure talking to you and uh, and whatever you are doing for the rest of your day have a have a wonderful wonderful day and we'll talk again in the not too distant future thank you thank you so much Thank you so much. It was wonderful talking to you, and I look forward to talking to you again. And as I told you, I would love to write a short story on you, because you yourself are a wonderful person, and I would Thank love you. to show you a bit more. And I look forward to that. I really do. Yeah, but that'll be that'll be great. Lovely, lovely. Have a have a wonderful day. Thank you. Great. Thank Namaste. you. With inspirational guests from around the world, inspirational quotes. the inspirational book of the week the meditation hour the quiet zone and feel good music yawa radio is about well-being happiness and finding the beauty within enjoy be beautiful be happy be inspired this is yawa radio